Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast and refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information prior to listening to this podcast. Welcome to this podcast on the market outlook for 2021. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia for Bank Julius Baer, and we're focusing on Asia in this podcast, so I should really say market outlook with an Asian twist. Here in Singapore is our Head of Equity Specialist Asia, Cheng Hen Saw. Hello, Cheng Hen. Hello, Mark. Well, let me set the stage for this year by doing a quick recap of last year and what a horrible year it was. I'm sure you agree. Certainly, it's the most horrible that I've lived through in my brief time on this planet. You know, Cheng Hin, I went back and looked at my notes from exactly this time last year. Guess what the big thing was that we were preoccupied with back then? As I recall, Mark, there were many people sounding notes of caution about the stock market starting to look expensive because it had just risen 30% in 2019. Well, you're right. I mean, there was a lot of talk about the U.S. election back then already, Bernie Sanders and stuff. And and yeah, the market went up 30% in 2019. But I look back on my notes and precisely a year ago, the number one thing on everybody's mind was the assassination by the United States of a senior Iranian general. And by the way, we shouldn't forget that. The Iranians clearly haven't forgotten it. But um, there was another little story I noticed in my notes that 59 people in Wuhan had been infected by a mysterious viral pneumonia. And we were told back then it wasn't caused by human-to-human transmission. And that's all we knew. That's why it was a tiny story. Well, who would have known in the space of a year that 1.8 million people would die? of that same virus, the first global pandemic since 1918. But somehow, if someone back then did know what was going to happen, do you think they would have believed that the S&P would rise 17% in that same period of time, or that the NASDAQ 100 would rise 48%, or that the mainland Chinese stock market would rise 36%? What do you think, Chen Hin? Would anybody have believed that a year ago? I very much doubt so, Mark. You're right, but they did. They did go up that much. And I guess that's what keeps me interested in markets, apart from the fact they're they're good to invest in, obviously. What I like about them is they're fascinating. They're so hard to predict. Chengen, why don't you tell us, why don't you set the stage for what Julius Baer thinks the big picture outlook is for 2021? Certainly, Mark. To begin with, I'd like to start with the benign backdrop we see for markets in 2021 that makes us constructive on risk assets. Firstly, Monetary policy is expected to remain loose with interest rates staying lower for longer. Three of the four major central banks in the world are currently run by doves, which is the word the financial community uses to describe people who prefer keeping interest rates low. In addition, central banks have also engaged in unconventional monetary policy, also known as quantitative easing, buying up bonds in the public market to inject liquidity into the economy, and we expect this to continue into 2021. Thirdly, Fiscal policy is also having a significant impact on economic growth and expected to further rise from here. We've discussed these in our previous podcasts, but Mark, you mentioned hefty stock price returns over the last 12 months, as seen from US technology stocks. 
This is indeed the case, and there's no denying that PE multiples for stocks, and in particular the technology sector, have expanded. It is at times like this that we do hear mentions of euphoria, bubbles, but I'd like to put things in perspective. Looking back in history, oftentimes bubbles are pricked by rising interest rates. The closest thing we can compare the current tech bubble, the current bull market, to is the technology bull market of the late 1990s. Well, the Fed raised rates six times from 1999 to 2000. That, probably more than anything else, was what caused the dot-com bubble to burst. Yeah, I agree. Furthermore, we know that many of the dot-com companies in the dot-com era weren't actually profitable. You would have remembered all the anecdotes about companies with no real cash flows and were highly leveraged. I remember well. So the economy was totally different back then. Basically, it was much more robust than it is now. And inflation is closer to 1% than the 2 to 3% that it was back then. Today, the US has been hit harder by the coronavirus than almost any other country in the world. So we don't see any rate hikes this year. In fact, our economists haven't penciled in a rate hike until 2024. Wow, that's three years from now. I know, Mark. It's a long way off. So that leads me to a second thing that's supportive for risk assets, not just US risk assets, but globally, and especially so for Asian risk assets. And that is we see the US dollar shifting to a bear market regime. Currency trends can be quite stubborn, and it's clear there are important there was an important trend change in the US dollar that happened in around August last year. That's when the US dollar broke below its uptrend that had been in place since the summer of twenty eleven. To use a military term, the Fed has much more monetary ammunition than any other central bank. Its policy rate is at 0.25%, the ECBs is zero, and the Bank of Japan's is negative, so it can reduce more if need be. In addition, while the ECB and Bank of Japan are running out of securities to buy in their quantitative easing programs, there's a lot more the Federal Reserve can buy if it wants to. Which is why the one currency we do like is the renminbi. The economy is growing well, and the People's Bank of China is not as dovish as the other central banks of the world. Well, thanks, Cheng I want to ask you to round off the podcast by telling us about equities. And because it's a podcast with an Asian twist, Asian equities in particular, please. Certainly, Mark. At Julius Fair, we have a greater preference towards equities than bonds. So the recommended allocation for a balanced portfolio is bigger in equities than it is in bonds. In equities, we continue to be positive on technology stocks. Perhaps I should say new economy stocks, because I don't just mean the big internet giants. For example, we really like healthcare companies with a technology angle. MedTech for short, like companies using genomics to cure illnesses and device manufacturers that leverage technology to improve the quality of their products. There has been and will continue to be incredible progress on this front. In fact, one positive that has come out of the coronavirus pandemic is that it has helped us unlock the potential of messenger RNA. You're right. So broadly, what I would say on technology, for lack of a better word, is that despite its outperformance over the past few years, in aggregate, the relative valuation of the sector is just slightly above its average over the past 20 years. And it has the structural growth over the next decade that few other sectors do. Because these are businesses that can move into other businesses, so-called digital disruption, and they're doing it as we speak. We also like the smaller to medium-sized companies. I think uh, in the financial markets, we call those small caps, right, Chinghen? Absolutely, Mark. There's two things small caps have going for them. 
The first is they're more cyclical than large companies, meaning the fortunes and share prices swing depending on the upward or downward movement in the economy. The second is they're cheap. In fact, in the United States, the price to book ratio of small caps is at a 50% discount to large caps. Five zero. Wow. This is an all-time low. And next year, analysts expect the earnings to rise 75%, far more than the 19% earnings growth forecast for large caps. But Mark, you asked me to focus on Asia, so let me do that now. We think that China is going to be the key driver of growth in Asia, with leadership coming from three key sectors, which are largely the same sectors as last year, technology, consumption, and the environment. To be clear, when I say technology is not all about the internet companies alone, social media is a big part of it, but it's far more wide-ranging. Think 5G, e-commerce, payment methods, robotics, medical technology. It's a very long list. It's a very long list, Mark. Basically, it extends to all things that are or will soon be integrated into our lives. These sectors are looking attractive from a medium to long-term investment horizon as these are structural growth opportunities. I have to add a word on regulation, given how investors are a little concerned about the increased regulations in technology. They have become recently. Yes, yes and that's a fair concern. What I would say is while regulations of the tech giants are expected to impact the scale, efficiency and profitability, in the long term, creating an environment where the smaller players are able to compete on an equal footing with the bigger ones could engender an environment with healthy competition that spurs greater innovation and development. And this benefits the entire industry. So while there could be some near-term uncertainty in the stock prices and earnings outlook of the tech giants, regulations in technology won't disrupt the entire trend. China is already one of the most technologically advanced countries globally, and I'm positive the country will continue on that path to be amongst the global leaders in technological developments in the long run. I also believe that China will embrace technology and utilize it as one of the key pillars to drive economic growth and activity in the country. I also want to mention, Mark, about the nearer six to nine month outlook in China, given that the Chinese economy is showing some signs of a cyclical pickup. Coming back to what I said earlier about small caps as cyclical plays in the US, it's the same in China. Here, there are opportunities in cyclical stocks that are closely linked to the economy such as in the industrial sector and commodities, for example. In fact, not only is the recovery underway in China, the pace of the recovery is accelerating. What we're noticing now in the economic data is that the recovery that started with industry has moved to the consumer, and the consumer recovery is now gathering pace. That's important because the consumer accounts for 36% of GDP in China. That said, we would view cyclical stocks as more short-term opportunities, the long-term opportunities are still very much in technology consumption and the environment. Incidentally, some are starting to question whether there's a risk in China that the economic recovery has become so successful that the central bank tightens up monetary conditions. In such a scenario, the financial sector would see earnings revise upwards, benefiting from a higher interest rate environment. Well, Cheng Hen, I think we've reached our time limit. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to us. To summarize... We're still constructive on markets this year, and uh, even though there's going to be an economic recovery, the central banks are going to stay loose and easy with their policies. Then what else did we talk about? We talked about how a softer dollar should be good for risk assets in general. Our preference is stocks over bond. And then 
Cheng Hin, you said that in Asian equities, our preference is China. And for a core portfolio, that's looking to hold, you know, for a five-year view. The structural stories are technology, consumption, the environment. Those are the places to be. But if you're looking for a six-month view, then uh, I think what you made uh, us clearly aware of is there is an opportunity in those kind of cyclical stocks that are going to benefit from the economic recovery this year. We look forward to speaking with you again soon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.